0: Please rise for the reading. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, Let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man then said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob was called to the place Peniel, saying, It is because I, God, saw face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel. He was limping because of his hip. (laughs) Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon.
1: Thank you, Cohen. You did wonderful. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. We will get to this wonderful and very strange passage in just a moment. I do want to echo what Jennifer said and send out a huge thank you. As she articulately said, we had kind of two different things we were hoping for in this big culminating showcase event in the lot uh, next door. One was first and foremost to galvanize our own body and to do this in tandem with our city and with the hopes there'd be high energy and participation. And I I would deem this the most successful thing we've done. Yeah, we, we moved into this building in September of 2014. I think that's the most all-hands-on-deck kind of thing we've done in the whole time we've been here. And so that is definitely worth celebrating. I know not all of you were able to be there Sunday night, but, yeah, it was a great vibe. Um, so much energy, so much enthusiasm. We're super, super thankful for that, super, super thankful. And then, as you know, the other kind of big objective was to try to expand the network of folks who are supporting uh, the work here in the community and this kind of big neighborhood development initiative. And so uh, I don't exactly know how to like uh, qualify that one yet. Um, so th- for sure, so so if you want to take the like half glass, half glass, half, half, half empty view, um, I, I think that we were, a bunch of us invited people and we're hoping they would come to the event itself on Sunday night. Not as many of those people we invited did come, so that would be the glass half empty version. The glass half full version, last week we did commitment cards, or we just kind of said, here's what we're giving financially, here's the people we invited. You all said you were inviting 178 people to that event, which is pretty incredible that there were 178 people that are now interacting with this. And so um, one of the things that's the ongoing hope, even if you know, only a fraction of those came on Sunday. A lot of those folks are still interacting with this, considering it, participating in different ways. That's directly tied to you. So that's what you can continue to do is following up and checking with them and sharing the video and inviting them to participate. So we're super thankful for that and hopeful about what that might be. So I don't have exact financial figures yet. We have a finance meeting tomorrow night, so we'll we'll be a little more clear on that. I want to make sure to be able to meet with all of them. give kind of a sense. I mean... Thematically, we'll know where we're at. (laughs) We can already kind of predict where we're going to be at. It's going to be a big push. That's kind of life at River City is. We're not just trying to build a church. We're trying to do important work in the community, and that's expensive, right? I mean, there's just a reality of that. I was teasing a suburban friend, pastor friend the other day. It's like, man, life must be easy for you. You guys bring in three times as much as we do and have a third of the third of the needs in your community. <laughs> it's like, uh, but just the reality is, right, we're, we're trying to respond to spiritual, emotional, financial, economic, housing, all kinds of needs all the time. That's just our life. So even as we're trying to figure out that next door a lot, anybody who's been part of this knows our rhythm is close now. Where are soon we'll be in November and start looking with anticipation of how God will once again help us cross the, <laughs> the 2023 budget line successfully, submitted so, I mean, that, that just comes with it. But we, we embrace that because yeah, we're not doing we're not raising money for our own our own self-interest. It's related to participate. We're trying to be a place-based representation of the kingdom of God here, and that takes all hands on deck and that takes a lot of resources. So grateful for again all the work you did on that. Grateful for what came of that. So thanks. Okay. Now, on to Genesis 32, and what, what, what a story. Everybody, you read, every commentator you read on this goes, this is one of the weirdest, wildest encounters in the Old Testament. It's a super important one. It's the changing of the name from Jacob to Israel, which becomes the name of the nation of Israel, so obviously just of huge importance. So there's all kinds of things that would be interesting, and the Bible nerd in me would love to cover if we had more time, but um, we're seeing the story of these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and uh Jacob, whose name tra- comes from the actual root of the word heel, so it's like it can be translated heel grabber or deceiver or um uh there's another term for it, but I'm forgetting what the other uh but so, what's that? Supplanter, that's it. That's a thank you. How do you say supplanter in, in Spanish, dude? That's a that that's that's a I don't even know in English what supplanter means. But uh, thank you, Sergio. That's the other that's the one I couldn't remember, supplanter. Um uh Sometimes somebody gets a name like that unfairly in Jacob's case he earned all those names. Um, up to this point he's a pretty bad guy or I, I shouldn't say that but it, the things he does um, you know he, he's grab, grabbing on his twin brother's heel on the way out of the womb he deceives his brother out of a birthright which was a huge deal in ancient culture um, does uh, does a number of things so where we're picking up in the story chapter 32 he's trying to make amends with his brother Esau isn't sure if he's going to forgive him or kill him. It's kind of an a in-between place. And so then you get this wild encounter, this, they just calls it a man, uh, a man, some kind of divine figure. A man comes and they start wrestling. <laughs> and they keep wrestling. And they wrestle all night long. And it just, who does that, right? Who just starts wrestling with somebody and wrestles all night long? But that's this definitive story for Jacob. And, we, we you know, up front, we're not giving any details about who this figure is. Clearly, by the end of the encounter, Jacob assumes it was God. Um, the prophet Haggai just refers to it as an angel. That's Haggai's take on it, it as an angelic figure. So some, in some form or another, it's God that Jacob is wrestling with, and this becomes this big story, right? So all kind of interesting things in there. But we're going to look at it through the lens of this series. We're, we're asking, we're looking at, and I think there's nine weeks in the series, we're looking at nine kind of seminal moments where God asks this big question. We get the questions God asks. We started with Adam and Eve when God asks, where are you? Continued with Cain when God says, what have you done? Uh, Last week, Benjamin did such an incredible job with uh, uh, Hagar's story, where have you come from? Where are you going? So this one, this is an interesting one. Um, uh, God asks this question, what is your name? What is your name? And that's in what verse is that? I guess it doesn't really matter. You saw, you saw it in the story. What is your name? Um, so I, I'm wondering when you hear that question, if you could imagine God asking that of you, if, if you could ask, imagine God asking of you the same question that God asked of Jacob, what is your name? I wonder what that rouses up in you. Um, is that compelling? Is that interesting? Is it confusing? Does it make little sense? Uh, I want to do a little bit of backup because this is one of those I actually wanted to be pretty practical, but we want to do just a little bit on the setup because um, this name, you could, th- this question, "What is your name?" is almost shorthand. Well, it's almost shorthand. It's also very comprehensive at the same time. This is one of the ways that the Bible gets to questions that I think are questions we ask on an everyday basis, right? Even if we don't, even if we don't think of "What is my name?" because this is a specific way um, to think of it spiritually, we do ask questions like, "Who am I?" "What is my potential?" right? What is it that I'm capable of? What if I, if I could grow into the best, most realized version of who I'm supposed to be, what does that look like, right? Or look, use the language of God. If God was looking and said, Daniel, or whatever your name is, this is who i believe you can be. How does God see us? How does God see what we can become? And then what are the things that stop us from going there? What are the things that get in the way? What are the roadblocks? What are the barriers that stop us from getting to that? Uh, the the language of growing into your name is one of the ways the Bible talks about this. It's it's this kind of container for a lot of those questions. And so uh, we see it so clearly here where you've got one name at the beginning of this. This is, this is probably the most concentrated version of the Bible. In the beginning, his name is Jacob. At the end, his name is Israel, right? Uh, but this is not the only time this happens here. In fact, let me let me look at a bigger picture Uh uh, use a passage from Isaiah and then a passage Revelation. In a lot of ways, this, this idea of the name serves as brackets of the story that we find ourselves in. So, so you get this sense that God names us even before we're born. So this is the Isaiah 49 passage. Um, uh, here's, here's how God says that to, uh, through Isaiah in Isaiah 49. God says, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born... The Lord called me from my mother's womb. The Lord has spoken my name. All right, and so you, 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 you see, this, we're like we've got our human God-given our human names that our parents give us, but there's this kind of notion that God has named us even before we were born. That there's a sense of who we are that God already understands. And then Revelation, which kind of gives us a picture of what life is going to be like when we're with God in eternity. This is Revelation two, verse seven. This is a verse that's always been really intriguing to me. Um, John in Revelation says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says of the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So it's got this kind of cool image and who knows what the white stone is, but this, this, this idea of that when we meet God face to face, we will be the fullest version of who God had always known us to be, and we'll have this kind of very uh, intimate and powerful exchange with God where the kind of the name that has been what's true of us the whole time becomes fully realized. And so in, in a lot of ways, you could say this question, what is your name, describes the brackets of the two ends of the journey, right? The What is your name that starts with the idea that God has created us with intention, with purpose, with thoughtfulness, that there's specific gifts and attributes and capabilities and potentialities that have been given to us. And then in between the brackets is life, right, on this way where this would be one of the ways you could kind of think about this is that we're growing into the name God has given us. We're stepping into the name that God has already given us, that it's this up and down, sometimes moving forward, sometimes feel like it's moving backwards, sometimes faster, sometimes slower, sometimes confusing chapters of the story. But there's this story, this sense of, moving into the name that God has for us, all right? So um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping as we enter into the story, so I feel like that's kind of like a big idea, but I want to quickly move to the kind of what we can learn from this story. But I, I would I would suggest that the story of Jacob wrestling with God is one of the most concentrated versions where you see kind of who he was on the front end, who he was on the back end, and kind of this notion of being named or renamed as being a central part of kind of the becoming, the becoming journey of who we're becoming in God. Be tracking with that? Because um, what I'd like, to, I'd like to do, there's even more I think than three, but I want to, I want to, for time's sake, just focus on three big ones. I want to look at three things. Again, this is always one of the, one of the, one of the kind of dances you want to do, particularly with the Old Testament stories, Old Testament narratives, is you, you, you want to honor the fact that this is a story that happened for a particular person. It's their story right? Um, It doesn't mean that every single thing that happens in their story is exactly the same as what's going to happen for us, right? It's their story. We're honoring that. With that being the case, especially these Genesis ones, God shares these stories with us to kind of hold out certain kinds of biblical themes, certain kind of biblical principles. And so, though I think there are some things that are very specific to this story of Jacob, there's at least three big themes in here that I think can aid us in our journey of and I hope you can feel this. I don't want this just to be an interesting Bible lesson. I hope you could actually kind of connect with that emotionally, spiritually. Like, what is my name, right? If God had asked that, what is your name? right? When God asked that of Jacob, just as the other questions, it's never because God lacks information and is hoping that they'll answer it in a way that God didn't know, right? The question is drawing something out of them, out of us. So if God was to say, what is your name? Who are you becoming as you understand it? And how does that align with kind of who I see that you becoming? Here's three things from his story that I think are really important. You ready to jump into these? You ready to kind of jump into these and kind of think of them for ourselves? Okay, here's the first thing that I think is, I think this is profound and helpful. I hope you do too. Uh, All these are a little bit of a mouthful, so let me try to say them as succinctly as I can. In the becoming journey for each of us, as we are stepping into the name that God has bestowed upon us, um, it'll be much, it's 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 not often that you're going to become a different version of yourself as much as you're going to become a more mature and sharpened version of who you already are. I want to sit in this one for a minute because I think for some of us, we have this conception or idea, maybe even fantasy, that if God really got hold of me, if God could really do the work, I'd become something really different than what I am. Like I'd be able to do some things that are really different than what I can really do. Um, and I'm not saying that's not possible, but I don't think that tracks with how the story usually works. We don't usually become a different version of who we were before. We become a more mature, a more refined version of who we always were, I would say, the, the kind of raw materials God had always put in us. All right, let's, let's, let's look at this story a little bit. I, yeah, I kind of point out that this is the thing. So much ink has been spilled over this wrestling match you know, that happens all night long and what happens in that so when, when you look at the story, I feel like as you track through the story of Jacob, this wrestling match in some way is like just totally vintage Jacob. Like you just get the sense Jacob is always a little bit testy, uh, a little bit on edge, a little bit always ready for a fight. Like these seem to be things that are true <laughs> throughout the story. And so when it gets to this point of the wrestling match, I feel like for a lot of other characters, if just the Bible would say, hey, and then this person ran into somebody in the middle of the night and they wrestled all night, you go that's that's even super weird. It's so out of character for this person. But when you kind of watch who Jacob is, it kind of actually doesn't feel super out of character, right? Like this mysterious figure comes along. This mysterious figure wants to fight. Jacob's like, I'm down. Let, let's do this. Let's fight. And so they start fighting. They start wrestling. And it's wild, but it somehow feels like Jacob. And that was even... I, I, I don't know if, this is to me the part that's almost like hard to believe on. They don't just wrestle, they wrestle all night long. Now, I don't know if any of you wrestle. <laughs> it's probably a weird question to ask. Uh, uh, but I, I, I wrestle now with my kids, but even like growing up, I went both in my middle school years and my high school years, it was pretty consistent and common that you had to fight afterwards. We had a little candy store across the street and there was an alley behind it. It was kind of a typical... Day in the life of Evergreen Park High School of, like, meet you at the alley afterwards, we're going to fight. It's like, okay. Um, and best I could understand it, there's only two ways to You're either were a boxer or you're a wrestler. And I was definitely not good at boxing. Got my butt whooped a lot of times doing that. So what I figured out is wrestling was my best bet. Uh, because most guys, and I was only fighting guys, most guys, their endurance it caps out at about 30 minutes or so. Like, if you wrestle for about 30 minutes, it is tiring. It is tiring. So it was not the most glamorous victory to just wrestle somebody until they gave up. It's not what the girls were most impressed by, which was a deficit of it. But that was my strategy. Like, I couldn't usually beat them, but if I could wrestle with them at about the 30-minute mark, they're like, whatever, this is stupid. I'm out of here. I'm like, me too. Like, you know, let's move on our way. So it's like I had – they called it the hill headlock. I had this, like, tough little – I get them in a headlock, and, like, we just – They'd squirrel around. They couldn't get out, and they'd try to throw a punch. Really, that, that, was, that was my, that's what I did every time. It's, we we wrestled until I get them in a headlock, and then we stayed there until they're fatigued. And usually it was right around the 30-minute mark. Somebody could not go more than 30 minutes. Jacob was all night long on this, right? Um, now, besides just telling dumb stories from Matilda, yeah, I, I hear where you're going with this. this. Uh, uh, besides just telling dumb stories in my high school years, what does it have to do with that? Uh, here's, what's, here's one of the things that's most interesting to me about this story, if... Before this encounter with God, that's going to be very life-transforming, lead even to a name change. Before this encounter, Jacob was testy, on edge, always ready for a fight. After he meets God, after he's transformed, so surely those things wouldn't be true anymore now, right? Surely that's the old hymn, and the new is going to be something very different, right? Anybody know what Israel, you know what the name Israel actually means? It means the one who wrestles with God. Did you, know that? Did you know that's what Israel means? The one who wrestles with God. So his renamed version of himself is the one who wrestles, the one who fights. I think there's something like deeply symbolic in there, right? So the Jacob that was testy on an edge and always ready for a fight doesn't become something fundamentally different after he meets God. Instead, those things that were in him that were used for selfishness, for self-interest, for his own purposes, often to connive people, they're now going to be used for something more redemptive. There's going to be a maturation of those. There's going to be a refinement of those. And I think that is a really interesting thing. When you look at some of these different characters, if you look at Paul, right, before Paul meets God, the, the, the same kind of skills and gifts that Paul seemed to have to be able to organize people and get them on board and, and communicate in such a way that they wanted to move, it's, it's not like he became something different after he met God. Right? Just those core attributes that were in him got used in a different kind of a way as he matured or if you look at Peter in the and, and the impulsiveness and probably quick-wittedness that he had, you know, that was often an immature thing after he meets God and, and he's another one who, you know, he goes from Simon's Peter where there's this kind of name change. I don't think Peter was fundamentally different after meeting God. And by fundamentally, I mean like just the core things if you'd say what were his, what were his strengths, his capabilities, his potentialities. I don't think those got, like the old version got removed and a new version got put in I think those things that were in him before became more mature as he met God, as he grew into his name. J- James and John, <laughs> my favorite nickname in the New Testament. They're called the sons of thunder, right? It's, I don't think they were, I, I don't think whatever made them sons of thunder wasn't there before they met Jesus and grew into that name. They just became more refined, more mature versions of that. You see what I'm saying? Um, and so I think this is an interesting part of thinking about and paying attention to us growing into who God is creating us to be stepping into our name if we can use that language that the things that the things that God will use as we reach the highest versions of maturity are not different than the things that showed themselves up when you were 13 and 16 and 21 um, uh, but but God takes the ten, in, in fact I think you go so far as like if, if the starting point is that God has named us before we are in our mother's womb those things that were going to be important parts of our journey have always been there they've always been there um, but like like most things in God's creation, the things that God creates can be used for good or used for bad. And so I don't think it tends to be a, a deletion of your core things and new things are put in. I think it tends to be more of a maturation and refinement of what was already there. All right, so this is actually kind of a vulnerable exercise, so not everybody would want to do it or even have the friends we could do this with. But I think it could be an interesting friendship conversation to say, what are those core things that are in me that maybe God would is already using or would want to use as the fullest version of me stepping into my name? Um, I, you know, that, that, that's the kind of question, I think, that gets to um, what's happening in this first one. So that's the first idea. It's the first resource here from this story of stepping from the old into our new name. Yeah, I don't think God removes our core things and puts new core things in. I think God matures and refines that which God had already put in us. Track with me on that? I think that's an important one. Okay, let's go let's kind of continue on in the story. We'll do a second one. Again, I'll try to say this as succinctly as possible. This doesn't be my words on it. I would say like this. Um, one of God's, in this journey of us growing into the name that God has for us, if we're looking at God's role in this, one of God's central priorities is that we would develop a posture of humility and dependence, Right, that this will be one of the central facets of the story that God is always trying to move us to a place where we have a transformed character that reflects humility and dependence. Uh, so now here's where here's where this motif of the all night wrestling again, because this is really one of the most wild details of it. That not just that they fight and wrestle, but they do it all night long. All right, so. Um, let's ask it in a question form. So this angelic or even God's self figure that Jacob wrestles with, he doesn't know it's God up front, but it clearly does at the end. If we if we ask it from God's perspective, when when God is wrestling with Jacob and they wrestle all night long, what do you think God was hoping would happen before it finally culminates in the end? If you, if you just stop at any point throughout the course of the night and they're doing this wrestling, what do you think God is hoping will happen to Jacob? Now, I can't say 100% certainty, but I think we can take a guess, right? I think we can probably guess that God would have preferred that Jacob would have submitted on his own, right? That Jacob would have seen, I'm wrestling with something that's more powerful than me, right? Now. Like, something unique is happening right here. What Maybe I should stop. Maybe I should pay attention. Maybe I should be curious. Maybe I should see what he will eventually see after his hip gets dislocated, but... Would have been probably a much less painful version of Jake for Jacob if he would have actually paused at some point during that eight-hour fight and said, "This is going a lot longer <laughs> than my fights usually do. Something might be happening here." Right? Um, I think. I think in some form or another. In fact, that, that, this is my take on it. You, you, you notice in, in the passage, it says, um, uh, "This is still when they're fighting." All okay, verse twenty-five. Uh, when this figure, which is translated man on the front end, which I think is matching, this is as much as Jacob can see, when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob. Now, this can feel a little bit confusing, because it's like if he's going to, in one touch, dislocate his hip, how can this angelic figure not overpower Jacob? I think this is speaking to something deeper than the physical fight. I think what this is saying is that, I think this is almost God saying, in the story, God is trying to get Jacob there the easy way, and it ain't going to (laughs) happen, right? Right? even God coming in a material form where, you know, Jacob can see him in the way that makes sense to him in a fight, um, this is not going to work. An all-night fight is not going to get Jacob's attention. This is not going to get Jacob to slow down. It's not going to get him to this place where he's humble, where he's dependent on God. And so then that's when you get to this part that's very unique and important in the story. That's when God, angelic figure, whichever it is, with God through the figure, uh, with one touch dislocates Jacob's hip, and now you you know now has it we touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, as as he did. So now Jacob is injured, and you know one could read the story and go, man, it's maybe is that a little bit harsh? Is that a little bit even cruel that God did this to Jacob? But I think we can see from the way Jacob responds. In fact. For how slow Jacob is to get it up to this point, Jacob actually gets it pretty fast after this, doesn't he? Like once Jacob is injured, his entire countenance has changed. He realizes it's God, and suddenly he's not fighting against the angelic figure. He's actually asking, he says, uh, um, uh, he's, he's asking for a blessing from the angelic figure. And so for Jacob, even though he gets injured in this account, it becomes... Such a transformational thing, because from this point, you know, he's very selfish up to this point, but this is what begins kind of a journey of deeper humility. He's very independent. He's trying to get everything on his own. He's become much more dependent on God. And so this injury, in fact, I, I don't know, I think we can probably read in Jacob's story, as Jacob limped around after that, if you would have said, man, that stinks that you have a limp now. Do you wish you could take that back? Do you think Jacob would trade it back? Do you think Jacob would trade the, him, the limp for the blessing? Oh, I, don't, I don't think so. I think for Jacob, it was worth it here's the question here's the question that I think we have to wrestle with from this and this is kind of getting to my earlier point of how we kind of interact with these old testament narratives so, so here's the question the question becomes do all of us need to be injured in some way or another in order to genuinely become humble and dependent that's one I'd, I'd like love to like invite you to reflect on do do we have to be injured like Jacob was in order to become humble and dependent on God I don't know I don't know um Maybe for some of us, maybe a lot of us are actually like Jacob and that theoretically we don't have to, but practically we do. Um, it could be that that's the case. I still think my take on this is that God and God's grace eventually injures Jacob to get him to the point he needs to get to, but that God and God's grace gave him all night long to figure it out. So that would be my take on this. I think what is for sure clear is that God wants us to be Humble and dependent as an, as an overall posture, not just as in life, that's true too. I'm talking even about in the journey becoming who we are, there's gotta be a humility, there's gotta be dependence. I, I would like to believe that God, if we can get there without <laughs> the injuries of life, then I think God's totally good with that, right? But interestingly, in God's grace, I think God would rather us get beat up a little bit by life in order to get humble and dependent rather than have us Escape anything difficult in maintain a posture that Jacob had before that. You tracking with what I'm saying? Sorry, quick pause. Is this? Can you all hear, me? It sounds echoey, but does it sound? It's it sounds fine still. Okay, it's it's a, okay, cool. I just want to make sure y'all you you are all hearing hearing that. Okay. So here's why that feel this this second one feels really important to me. I feel like these three. Can maybe hit different parts of where some of us struggle or need kind of resources in this journey of becoming who we are. Um, I think I think that for a lot of us, when we think of becoming the best version of who we are, we don't actually think of the centrality of God's voice in that. Um uh this is one of the things I think is illustrated in the younger give the younger prodigal and the story of the two prodigals, right? For the younger brother and the story of the prodigal sons, I don't think it ever even dawns on the younger brother that the best version of him could actually happen if he stays in the home. I think mean, for him, he thinks I've got to go away from God. Like the good life, right? The for me to figure out who I am, I have to go away from God. Of course, that turns into a painful lesson that that actually isn't what was the case. But I think there's something in this about I mean, humility, dependence are important across the board. But I'm talking specifically in this journey of stepping into the name that God has created for us, the the, the sense of depending on God at every step of the way to be the one, and that's that's what the blessing is in this. Um, yeah, Ken, if you don't mind bringing that passage up one more time, Let, let's let's look at that that kind of language around the blessing said. Um, verse 26, uh, this figure says, let me go for his day, daybreak. And here's what Jacob replies. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And in response, the figure says, what is your name? So here's what's really fascinating to me in the kind of the last part in this the second one. Jacob asks for a blessing, he gets the blessing, and actually, here is what the blessing is. The blessing is the question. What is your name? Right, so my take on that is that what's happening is that Jacob actually longed for a sense of meaning, for a sense of purpose, for a sense of identity. He was going about it in ways that didn't center God, that was not dependent on God. And so what's happened, like, the fruit of this interaction is that there's a new sense of understanding for Jacob that God cares about that question. And that God is the reference point for that question. What is your name? You you have to come to me and walk with me in order to find the answer to that. So this notion of God desiring humility and dependence for us, that is such a central priority for how we grow into deeper and deeper understanding of that question, what is your name? Track with me on that? All right, last one. Another just real kind of clear theme that, So much could be said about this. I've been thinking about this one so much. This is the one I had to like really discipline myself to not go super long on. We'll just kind of do the same amount of time. But uh, uh, let me try to put a label on it and then we'll explore this in in the text again. This journey of stepping into the name that God has for us, I think what we learn from this story, what we see repeatedly in scripture is that growing into our name requires consistent face-to-face encounters with God. It requires consistent face-to-face encounters with God. And you see this is, as Jacob makes sense of everything that just happened, I don't think he understood during the course of the fight what all was happening, but he has a really clear sense of what happened after it. Um, it In verse in verse 30, it says that Jacob called the place Peniel, um, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And Peniel, if you actually look that up, it's, it actually just literally means face of God, so... Jacob says, I met God face to face, and then Jacob names that place uh, the face of God. And so the face of God is a fascinating, in in a very central image, especially in the Old Testament, because in the New Testament shifts that the face of God actually is seen through Jesus. And so that becomes kind of a fulfillment of it and a different kind of way of interacting with the face of God. But in the Old Testament, this language of the face of God comes up a lot. And maybe you get this intuitively. I'm not sure. I, I don't know that I would have without studying it. But when, when the language of face-to-face with God is used, what it's describing is an intimate encounter between God and people right it's describing an intimate encounter between god and people it's really foreshadowing this language that will become so central in the new testament of seeing god first and foremost as a divine parent right cuz there's all these there's all these true facets of who god is all these different ways in which we can relate to god but of course when jesus taught people to pray the, where he always started was we relate to god as his divine parent right our father who art in the heavens hallowed be your name in the foreshadowing of that was in the Old Testament when you use this language of meeting God face to face. So here, here, here's an interesting, and this is, this is I'd actually would love to do a whole sermon, maybe even a whole series on this sometime, because there's all this kind of social psychology research that I think backs this up, which I am not an expert in, and I'm not going to say any more than that, because I like to make sure I know what I'm talking about before I do these things. But here's one thing I think is, for sure, solid, uh, we can say solidly. So the way people interact together in different cultures, different parts of the world, different times in human history, of course, changes quite a bit, right? But here's one thing that is just always true, particularly with babies, with how babies relate to adults. One of the things that is true in every culture, no matter where you're at, any time, babies look to the face of their parents to make sense of the world early on. Babies look to the face of their parents, right? And so... Um, when your parent, when a parent is happy, that affects the child. You know, when you're doing that's it's why adults kind of instinctively do all these goo like, hey, do, do, be, do, be, do, right? Like, like, like understand like there's this inherent understanding that like even if the baby can't understand words yet, that the expressions on the face, the way that the adult interacts with them, and particularly with a parent and a child, right? In fact, there's this. I said I was going to get into it, but there was this Harvard study done that's, that that looks at a. Um, like a mom and her baby, how the mom's face affects the baby's um, disposition. And so it starts, it's almost a little, it can feel almost a little bit cruel for the sake of the, of the study. But so it starts, the mom's just being her normal animated self. So she's being goofy and silly and I love you and all that. And the baby's like super, it's le- the baby's less than a year old, baby's happy and giggling and cooing and stuff like that. And so in the research has the mom turn away for just a second and then turn back and she has just a straight, rigid face. I'm going to show this sometime because it's really wild to watch. She has a straight, rigid face, and the baby almost instantly is confused and can't figure out what to do. And within, like, 15 seconds, the baby starts crying, and she starts, like, pawing at her mom. And I guess babies don't paw, but, you know, uh, um, like, hitting with her hands and, like, is, is is really tormented because can't figure out why the face is so rigid and staid and why the baby is not getting kind of any sense of where the parent's at and then the mom looks away and gets happy and the baby totally regulates again after that. I think this is such a fascinating way to think about the very personal, intimate ways we relate to God. That in the same way that humanly we have this just instinctive, it it happens in every culture where babies just, one of the ways that they determine kind of social interactions by looking at the faces of adults. And it's so interesting that the way God interfaces, which it's just striking me that that's got the word face in it, I never really thought about that, but the way that God interfaces with us, the way that God talks about it, um, it it's, it, it, and it's a big purpose of this series of the questions God asks, is to be clear on who God is and then how that shapes us. So God, so these are things God is not, God's not elusive, right, God is not hard to interact with, um, God is not angry or punitive, this notion of face-to-face um, is building on what Jesus will then make so clear when we pray to God, pray to God as a divine parent. Everybody thought that was sacrilegious, that Jesus would talk of our conversations with God in such a personal way, in such a child, parent-like way, but it was always in the Old Testament. When, when Jacob finishes this, this encounter, when he makes sense of it, he says, this is the place where I saw the face of God. And what I saw there, and it even came with an injury, but that didn't change the way Jacob saw God. God saw a warm, tender, loving God who wanted to pull Jacob in deeper, who wanted to reset the course that he was on and to do this in an intimate kind of a way where through this face-to-face encounter at Peniel, the place where I met God face-to-face, I also thought this would be kind of a cool exercise, but I don't, I don't know how hard this would be, but it would be kind of neat to like go back through our spiritual histories for each of us in our own way and look at where were the places I feel like I saw the face of God and start naming some pineal places that have been formative for us. And I think it's cool to do that looking back, but the more important thing is that we prepare to do that looking forward. That this isn't isn't just a rules-based, obedience-based, behavior-based kind of walk with God, that God has named us, that God will receive us, as the fullest version of ourselves someday in eternity, and that in between, it's meant to be this very intimate, um, a close, interactive, face-to-face kind of thing. And there's all kinds of, you know, if that stirs anything in you, the next kind of question is like, how do I do that, and I think that's valid, but we're not gonna have time for that today, but I think it's a really important question. But at least for this one, to kind of pull that as a third resource, that for Jacob, that was a central facet of this story that this wrestling match ultimately translated. I don't think it always has to be a wrestling match. I heard some sermons where it's like, we have to always wrestle with God. I'm not sure that that's the case. Sometimes, you know, the opposite of wrestling is dancing, right? And uh, um, uh, sometimes I think we we experience this in dancing with God. Sometimes we experience it with wrestling with God. There's different ways we can experience it. But the bottom line is that we're, we're designed to meet God face-to-face and to draw cues from that and to know who we are based on those face-to-face interactions. And so I hope you hunger for that. I hope you long for that. I hope you pursue deeper understanding of how that works out in your own life. So join me in prayer as we reflect on this wild and wonderful account of Jacob wrestling with God. So join me, if you will. Ah, oh, dear God, we pray to you right now, the same God who is the God of Adam and Eve with them in the garden, the same God who is the God of Cain and Abel, who cried out to Cain, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out from the God. The same God that is the God of Abram and Sarai, two others whose names then changed, Abraham and Sarah. The same God of Hagar, the same God who wrestled with Jacob in the wilderness. That is our God. Repeatedly, when you would talk throughout the Bible, you say, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, reminding us that you are that same God. And so we are entering into a story that's thousands of years old and yet, it is the exact same God whose presence we are in right now. And so we uh, honor the significance of this story and the role it plays in the Genesis account and the Old Testament accounts and the accounts of the people of Israel and the accounts of all of us who look to Yahweh God. And then we sit in this like really significant question that you ask of Jacob. What is your name? And so now we allow that to kind of point at us. Rather than looking at Jacob, we look to ourselves and we listen for the voice of God who asked that same question, what is your name? And in that, God, I hope we will be struck by the beauty, the wonder, the kind of eternal significance of knowing that just like in those words we read in Isaiah 49, that while we were in our mother's womb, you called us by name. And we think about the other end of this where someday, as Revelation 2 says, we will meet you in whatever this white stone is you give, but it's got the name that right now, here and now, we're going into. For most of us, we probably don't know the full extent of that name. That's, that's the whole point of this, is that through following you and living it out, living out our faith with you and in community, we come into this deeper and deeper sense of who you are and who we are and who you made us to be. We think of the really unique attributes of this story, the way that you redeemed things that were already in Jacob, the way that you injured him in grace for the purposes of resetting him to be able to be more observant and attentive to your voice, more dependent on you for the blessing that he had always craved. I think for a lot of us, that's our story too. We crave this blessing We're going everywhere but you to try to find it. Just this language, this imagery of interacting with the God of the universe in a face to face kind of way. Mm. Right now, your face looks upon us. Think of the famous benediction number six, May the face of God shine upon you your face shines upon us now and this is the invitation that you put before us to position ourselves to allow ourselves to be transformed and renewed and spiritually evolved in such a way that we can look back at the face that looks at us and see the God who looks at us with a sense of joy, with a sense, with a sense of pleasure over us. And I so, so believe that that's a front and center part of this journey, of growing into the fullness of who we are. That when we try to find that blessing outside of you, we just end up creating hardship for ourselves and for others. It's just the story repeats over and over and over again. But when we can look to the face of the one who already looks to us, we can become mature, we can become whole. We become rooted in a way that just cannot be done outside of you. That just cannot be fabricated or vexed in any other kind of way. So as we prepare to respond in worship right now, we'll be led into that space. Wait, maybe for just a moment we can get a sense of the God whose face shines upon us, who looks at us right now with joy and delight. May we encounter you. May we continue to be different because of it. May we continue to grow into the name that you have written on the white stone for each one of us. In your name, stand together for the closing benediction. Instead of a final word today, can I give you a final picture? I almost feel like this is like a painting. You know when you see a beautiful painting, you can just look at it and see all the different nuances? It's so picturesque the way that account ends. The final thing that the the final image, it says, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel limping because of his hip. So you see that almost as like a painting? Sunrise symbolizes what? It's a new day. He's just met God face to face. He's forever different. Limping in his joy. So it's a great reminder that even when there's pain, even when there's hardship, even when there's sorrow, it can be a new day. God continues to call us to God's self into the name that God's given us that be of encouragement to us as we head into our week. Love you all. Be blessed.